Welcome to PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. I'm John Bernstein, Regional President of PNC Bank, alongside my co-host, Carolyn Jones, Market President and Publisher of the Boston Business Journal. Thanks, John. It's great to be with you on PNC C-Speak. Each podcast features local executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. This knowledge sharing platform showcases leaders with forward thinking approaches that disrupt the status quo and cause us to think differently. Our guest today is Dr. Kevin Churchwell, President and CEO of Boston Children's Hospital. Boston Children's is ranked the number one pediatric hospital in the nation by US News and World Report. It is home to the world's largest pediatric research enterprise and is the leading recipient of pediatric research funding from the National Institutes of Health. Kevin, welcome to C-Speak and thank you for your leadership of such an important institution. Can you share a bit about the core work being done at Boston Children's? Sure, I'm happy to do that. And thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Our core work really revolves around our four missions. A mission around uh, clinical care, of course, we're a hospital, a children's hospital. And the work that we do in clinical care, I think is profoundly important. Uh, We are a leader in pediatrics, uh, not just in the nation, but around the world in the care that we provide. What I mean by that is that we have developed clinical programs for diseases of our children that others uh, haven't been able to do. And with that, we have a referral from all around, not just New England, uh, but the nation and around the world for kids coming to us for that care. That's uh, from a surgical standpoint, also from uh, an oncologic standpoint, cancer standpoint, and also from diseases that are fully described from a metabolic standpoint. We also, as part of our mission, are the leading pediatric research entity in the country. We believe that research is part of our secret sauce, meaning that that continuum of care from identifying the basic science idea to translational research to research that brings clinical care to the bedside is what we found to be profoundly important in moving forward the discipline of pediatrics. And so we've invested in that research, both at the basic science standpoint, at the translational care standpoint, translational research, and also research at the bedside, uh, clinical research. We also are a leader in education. Uh, Our goal is to continue to support the education of the next leaders in pediatrics, pediatricians, surgeons, investigators. And so individuals come from all around the country Uh, and around the world to us uh, for their education. And then our fourth is our mission. Our fourth mission is around community. We are, you know, in all said and done, a neighborhood children's hospital. It just so happens our neighborhood encompasses not just the neighborhood that surrounds us, but the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and the New England region. What I mean by that uh, is that children are referred to us from everywhere. And so we are responsible for that, open to that, and realize that that's part of our responsibility, to be that uh, place where kids can come to for care, but also how we respond to our community in terms of identifying what else needs to be done for our kids to have the best possible healthy future. And that's with collaboration, collaboration with those that are involved in the care of our kids, those that are teaching our kids, our school system, for example, our school systems. 
And those entities that are committed to moving forward, uh, the possibility that every child deserves the best possible chance, the best possible opportunity for uh, the best possible future. And so in our community work, that's what we've really tried to stress and support and endorse moving forward. That's a huge responsibility for you to be the, the ensure the community that every child has a chance for the best possible outcome. Thank you for that great work. Thank you. Um, would you tell us a little bit about you? What are three words that colleagues would use to describe you? Uh, three words that can be mentioned on the podcast. Let's see. <laughs> uh, I think uh, committed, supportive, uh, and hopefully thoughtful would be the three words that uh, I think folks would uh, try to would describe me as uh, uh, some of my characteristics. Excellent. And I think they do describe you well. So on that note, Kevin, maybe can you share with us a little bit more about your own personal career path and, and how you found your way to your current role as the head of Boston Children's? Well, I'll tell you that none of this was planned. <laughs> uh, I actually arrived in Boston uh, back in uh, the end of the 70s, 1979, for uh, undergrad. I was an undergraduate at MIT. So that was actually the Second time I arrived in Boston, the second time I'd been on an airplane. At MIT, I really discovered the world in many respects and the opportunities. And there decided that I wanted to be a doctor instead of an engineer. And so went back to where I grew up. Actually, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. So I went back to do my medical school training at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine and returned back to Boston to do my residency. Uh, so I had the great opportunity at that time to be exposed to Boston Children's Hospital. So I did my residency, my internship residency there, and then I decided to specialize in pediatric critical care. And uh, that was another three years of training. And then I was on staff at Boston Children's for a couple of years. So I spent about eight years at Boston Children's. And in that time, discovered, you know, the opportunity of what Boston Children's does, what they do, what we do, the great individuals that were leading the hospital at that time and the support that I received from them. And so it was a great eight years of training, of learning. I left after eight years and returned back to uh, home uh, in Nashville at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital and spent the next 15 years there. Uh, and during that time, I went from uh, taking care of patients, which I absolutely love to do, to the administrative part. Uh, I call it through a series of fortunate, unfortunate, fortunate events. Uh, I went from taking care of patients to the administration, to the chief of staff of the hospital, the chief medical officer, to ultimately the CEO of the hospital. And I was CEO of uh, the Vanderbilt Children's Hospital for about uh, three years before I was recruited to another children's hospital, the Alfred I. DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington, Delaware, to be their uh, CEO. And uh, worked there for about two and a half years before I received a call from leadership at Boston Children's asking if I would return in the role as uh, Chief Operating Officer and Executive Vice President for Health Affairs. I will tell you that there weren't a lot of jobs that I would be interested in, but certainly that was one of them, <laughs> to return back to Boston Children's. And so my family and I, my wife Gloria and I, were extremely excited about the opportunity. So we returned back in 2013. And I've been fortunate over this 
period of time uh, to succeed Sandy Fenwick as president and CEO. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, we're, we're so happy you made your way back to us. <laughs> Thank you Thank for you. that. Thank you. And you became CEO in the middle of the pandemic. And the pandemic has impacted everyone and probably no organization more than in healthcare. Can you share a little bit of a story of how the pandemic has affected you and in taking over the role of CEO at Children's? Well, you know, the, I think the pandemic has affected all of us. I think that it has affected Boston Children's uh, in many positive ways in that we have really come together as a hospital, as an enterprise, uh, working in concert in ways that uh, we weren't doing before. I think you could describe that across healthcare in general. And I'm extremely proud of being part of healthcare, proud of being part of what we've had to do over the past two, two and a half years. But the collaboration that we've seen, that I think you've seen in terms of the adult hospitals working together, the adult hospitals working with us, the children's hospital, in terms of providing care, uh, providing support uh, has been phenomenal. But it's also been challenging. It's been challenging from, uh, I, uh, from a standpoint that we just haven't had a day off. Usually, you know, you get your ebbs and flows in terms of the volume of patients, the stress that our workforce is under, our nurses, our physicians, our respiratory therapists, everyone that works in our environment. Uh, but this uh, hasn't happened this time around. Uh, the stress has been continual. And with that uh, has provided its own challenges. What we've learned and what I've learned is that communication is extremely important. Honestly, we thought before the pandemic started that we were communicating really well, right? We sent out, I'd send out an email maybe once a month and maybe have a town hall quarterly and, and thought that was great communication and realized that that was totally inadequate uh, during this time. At one point, we were communicating every day. I was communicating every day, uh, meeting with our leadership, providing them information, being as transparent as possible about what we were facing, what we had to do, because I was asking a lot of them. Uh, we asked at one point very early on uh, that everyone go home. Everyone that uh, did not have to be in a hospital needed to go home and continue to work. So we sent 8,000 people home. And I told them that they had to do it in a week. And they did it. They absolutely did it in a week and changed how we provided care in that week time. And that uh, virtual care, telemedicine is what we call it, became uh, our savior in many respects. But we had to really activate that. We had to really change uh, a lot of processes for that to work, and we did it. But I think we did it through uh, that active communication. And as we come out of the pandemic, and we're not out of it yet, so let everyone know we're not out of it yet, but as we come out of the pandemic, I think the biggest learning is how do we continue to communicate? How do we continue to have that transparency uh, between uh, those that work at Boston Children's and administration and to with me as the CEO with everyone else? Because we found that to be extremely important. In addition to communication, how has the pandemic shifted how you lead and how you look at your organization? Well, you know, I like to tell our folks that uh, in the, Barring a phrase, panic is for wimps. <laughs> and that uh, our job is uh, continue to be thoughtful 
uh, as we think through what are the issues, and there are no issues that we cannot overcome. In doing that, we have to actually be very thoughtful and committed to what we are trying to accomplish, what we need to accomplish. And so I found that uh, that starts at the top, right? It starts at if folks see that I'm panicking, folks see that I'm sort of stressed out, then uh, that's probably not a good uh, view in terms of what everyone else needs to do or sees that they need to be doing. And so I found that uh, how I continue to be thoughtful and calm in this process and what we're doing is very important. I've also uh, continued to believe and continue to stress the need for listening. And that uh, one of the most important things that I can do is not to, uh, uh, to provide my views immediately on an issue, on a question, but to take everyone else's thoughts first, uh, to to be that listener, to be that good listener, is something that I continue to work on, but I think is profoundly important. And in some respects, I think has kept us in good stead uh, that I attempt to continue to listen to all the great ideas uh, that are brought up before making a decision, before providing my view of what we need to move forward. I learned that uh, to taking care of patients and that one of the issues that I felt I needed to work on as a critical care physician were my listening skills, especially in uh, acute, uh, very intense situations. And that sometime uh, very early on, I would, I would act and speak before thinking or listening. And I didn't think I was getting the best out of myself, but also best out of the team that I was listening by doing that. And so I continue to work on that listening skill uh, as I've sort of moved up the ranks uh, in terms of leadership. And I think that's kept me in good stead. It's truly a mark of a, of a great leader, for sure. So Kevin, uh, in your journey as a leader, you have been a true advocate for equity, diversity, and inclusion. Can you share a little bit about what drives that and how you execute on it? Uh, sure. You know, I think the driver uh, of this piece of work, of course, uh, it comes from my family. Uh, it comes from my uh mother and father who have passed, but uh, the, and the work that they did, the work that they uh, uh, really expressed to us and the commitment. Uh, my dad grew up uh, in the depression. Uh, he was born in 1917, grew up in the depression, went through World War II, uh, and then uh, was the actually the first African-American to write for a daily Southern newspaper. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so that started in 1950. Okay, so you can imagine what he had to go through during that time. My mom was a school teacher uh, and went through segregation and then busing and then integration and et cetera. And so our household was one of, of where all of these issues were sort of at the forefront. Um, and so the importance of diversity, inclusivity, uh, equity uh, was, was there right? And uh, was stressed uh, every day in many ways, uh, in, some, in, in many respects, not overtly, but certainly uh, in, uh, in what uh, expectations were uh, and for the family and for individuals and what the importance of that was all about. And so given that, when I uh, had the opportunity to, to uh, be in a leadership position, I believe that I uh, felt that this was uh, a environment, an area that I had to continue to stress and move forward. 
So I've done it in multiple ways by enabling those that are dedicated uh, to this important work. And I think that's one of the most important things that I can do is enable the work. Uh, you can do it through, of course, uh, dollars, uh, mm -hmm. supporting programs, supporting people. But also um, you do it from a standpoint of making sure that this work of diversity inclusion uh, is not just a one-off discussion, but needs to be part of the fabric of how we do our jobs or how we view uh, the work that we do, especially at Boston Children's. So the example I like to give is that we've placed our diversity and inclusion goals within our enterprise goals. And our enterprise goals are really important, right? That's what we talk about every day. That's part of uh, folks' incentive plans and et cetera. And so we've made it part of those goals. Uh, yeah. So everyone understands and appreciates the importance of them. And the goal is that, you know, it's not something we talk about at the end of our meetings. Because as you know, uh, if you have an agenda of 10 topics, if diversity and inclusion is at the end of the meeting, then you spend the last minute on it. <laughs> right. We uh, put it throughout the, the entire hospital and the enterprise, starting at the board level and working through our administrative level to our physicians, nurses, and et cetera, to make it part of our fabric. Yeah, so it's baked in for sure. You know, Kevin, one issue that uh, my co-host, John Bernstein and PNC have been involved in is advocating for child care and early learning, which I've heard John describe as a racial and gender equity issue. Can you talk a little bit about some of the work Boston Children's has done in this area? Well, you know, it dovetails beautifully and perfectly in what we believe is the most important, one of the most important opportunities for our children. In that, uh, how do you support the next generation in our future? Well, you start early. You start early in supporting early childhood education, care, and development. And so we believe it's profoundly important uh, to the point that we've put our dollars there. We have generated and developed over $17 million of grants and support for people, for individuals, for programs that are concentrating on early childhood care, education, and development. And we, not just with the dollars, but with our information, with our knowledge, and with our oversight to actually move these forward, move this opportunity forward. This is something that, you know, doesn't have immediate gratification, right? You don't invest in this and tomorrow you see the results. But we know that investing in this 10 years from now, 25 years from now, we will have an incredible garden, an incredible garden of kids who are growing and have developed to their full potential. And so the work that you're leading, John, you're leading is profoundly important. I just want to thank you for that. Thank you, Kevin. Glad you're part of it. Glad you're part of the team. You know, the, the rewards of seeing a child engaged in an academic setting or in a school or if are fantastic, but the economic returns long-term are, are magnificent. Kevin, strong leaders are defined by how they lead and inform when faced with major obstacles or issues. We are facing a true crisis in behavioral health exacerbated by the pressures of the pandemic and more. Could you tell us a bit about how you process and stay positive and focused for your team considering this major challenge? 
Well, you know, we have a wonderful team. We have, as you can imagine, uh, our physicians and nurses and everyone that works at Boston Children's are incredibly committed and come to work trying to do their best uh, for every child that uh, we encounter. And so that's where we start. Uh, And that's a great base to start from. This is uh, an important issue for us. Um, This is an issue that we saw uh, hints of before the epidemic, before the pandemic, this issue around our behavioral and mental health in our kids. There was a rise in the number of kids that were coming to us, coming to our emergency departments with depression or suicide ideation or behavioral dysregulation is what we call it. But with that, the pandemic has put this uh, on a level that we have never, ever seen. The number of kids that we're seeing every day has risen by, you know, threefold, fivefold. And it continues to this day, to be honest with you. So how have we continued to work on this or to be positive from the standpoint that we continue to work to find solutions? And understanding that there are short-term solutions that we need to find, but then our longer-term solutions that we need to continue to develop. So we work to to find those solutions by finding opportunities for care, whether it's the development of a new program or a new space for care for inpatient care for our kids, or and the development of the outpatient uh, opportunities for our kids with behavioral and mental health issues. Also partnerships that we've developed with our school systems, Uh, with our community-based leadership and programs is profoundly important along with our pediatricians. Mm -hmm. And so as you you probably can realize, you know, they're they're at the the, the cutting edge with the families in terms of the kids that we're seeing with these issues. All that really describes making progress. uh, And I think that's kept us positive in terms of making progress moving forward. But we also are thinking about it on a long-term basis. Right. What's the next evolution of care? And we believe, I believe that that is with partnership, uh, that sort of thinking outside the box and the development of an environment where we're taking care of our kids, uh, not just from the inpatient setting, because when they get to us, when they get to us in the hospital, you know, they are in really uh, an extreme state. How do you stop that? How do we prevent that from happening is the opportunity. So you can create a better environment from an inpatient care, but outpatient care is profoundly important to get to them early. And to create an environment where uh, we are educating the next uh, generation of caregivers in this space, because that's the other thing that we've identified. There aren't enough caregivers in this space, whether it's psychiatrists, pediatric psychiatrists, psychologists, nurses, pediatric nurses, nurse practitioners, social workers, uh, there is a dearth of those individuals, and we want to create an in-create environment where we're training them. Yeah. And also importantly, I will say, is the need for research in this space, the need to really develop the next evolution of care, uh, whether it's drug therapy or behavioral therapy. You know, what we're doing now, we've been doing the same for 30 years plus. Yeah. And it hasn't, it, it, it's gotten to at this point, but there needs to be breakthroughs. And so what we've been doing is really encouraging and developing that, those next steps. So working on it short-term, working on it long-term, uh, I think has kept us in a view of being positive in an environment where 
there is stress every day from what we're seeing. These issues are heavy. But through this time, what have been the moments of levity over the past two years? Moments of levity in the past <laughs> two years. <laughs> can you find some? <laughs> can we find some? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can always find them, right? You can find them just in the day-to-day interactions with staff. You know, you find it in just uh, the, uh, the kerfuffles that happen in, <laughs> in, in communication. And you, uh, the key thing is you got to look for them and you've got to encourage them as we move forward. One of the things that we do, that I do, is round uh, in the hospital. And uh, it's always a great opportunity to meet with the staff, meet with our patients and families. But I'll tell you, it's also an opportunity for, uh, for fun, for levity that you described, especially when we don't take ourselves too seriously about this. Or those, those that I work with don't take me very seriously, although I come <laughs> off as serious uh, it's a great opportunity to make fun of me, uh, <laughs> uh, and I welcome that uh, because it gives the opportunity for the staff to to sort of relax a little bit as we move forward. Given the environment that you work in with children, which is wonderful and can be so much fun, but given the the gravity of it, uh, that levity and that fun is is really really awesome and important. So on that note, you know this podcast has been described as a masterclass in leadership. Since this masterclass features you as our teacher, what advice do you have for our listeners, whether they're up and coming leaders or in the current C-suite? I've sort of talked a little bit about the advice I would give leaders. I always try to talk with those that ask me this question about uh, what does it take or what should they be looking for? And part of that is the continued learning continue to take the opportunity uh, as best as we can to continue to learn and to grow. Looking at all opportunities for that, I think is really important. So what do I really mean by that? I really mean that there's opportunities across the board in terms of these learning opportunities. Uh, Sometimes they they approach you in the books that you read, of course, the courses that you take, the interactions that you have, Uh, but the opportunities you have in your day-to-day life or what you enjoy doing. I enjoy watching movies, for example. But when I watch movies, I actually take them as an opportunity for uh, learning, for the nuggets that come out of uh, particular uh, movie presentations uh, from a standpoint of leadership, or from a standpoint of uh, difficult situations or important situations, how they play out in the movie, and how I can utilize them moving forward in terms of my interaction with others. So, you know, when I meet with my team, they always sort of start rolling their eyes because probably <laughs> at the end of each meeting, I bring up a, a, a movie nugget mm-hmm. uh, that I sort of appreciated and brought to uh, the table in terms of the learning that I appreciate. Uh, so that's just another opportunity for learning. The other one that I will just mention again is the op- uh, in terms of leadership how you should decide what type of leader you want to be or should be. I stress the opportunity to be a servant leadership as the opportunity as to be a successful leader, an important leader, a leader that makes a difference. Uh, And how being a servant leader takes effort, uh, takes a commitment, and sort of thinking through uh, my leadership and my success, our success is predicated on supporting others is supporting and developing others in their work, in their future, in what they're trying to do. 
and how can I do that every day is a question that I continue to ask myself. And I uh, stress to others in terms of how they're thinking about leadership. What are some of your observations on the economy and changes underfoot in healthcare and in our city and region? What are you optimistic about and, and what worries you? I continue to be optimistic uh, uh, in our environment, especially in the environment that's here in our city. Uh, in terms of just the enthusiasm and the innovation that continues to occur in healthcare. You know, you look at the square block that I work in and the amount of activity that's occurring uh, in care, uh, in research uh, is just phenomenal. Uh, and it will change how we practice. It will change what we're able to do for our children and for everyone uh, moving forward. So I think we need to continue that work. It's a leader in this country. We are a leader in this country from that standpoint. Uh, and we should continue to uh, believe in that, support that moving forward. So I think that's all, I'm very optimistic about that. I think there are gonna be headwinds. There are always headwinds, right? If you have the expectation that things are never gonna change, come see me, okay? <laughs> so we can have a conversation <laughs> about that. Because things always change. The economy is going to go up, it's gonna go down. Uh, it's, uh, but there are going to be a continued, uh, uh, the supporting structures for our economy remain very strong. And I think healthcare is part of that in terms of that supporting structure. Uh, and the research in healthcare and just the, the entire environment that we, that we work in. So I think that uh, there's a great deal that we can look forward to. Uh, we'll work through these issues, uh, the issues that are confronting us now. Uh, but if we stay uh, in our commitment uh, to uh, the importance of care, importance of our families, the importance of our children, I think we'll be in pretty good shape. Kevin, what's your call to action for your peers and others in the business community who are listening in? Ah, gosh, great question. My call to action is to continue to remain committed uh, to the work around diversity, inclusion, and equity that this is a defining moment for us. Uh, and that defining moment needs to not just be a moment. It needs to be a continual process that we continue to invest in and develop. And with that, we will change our country. We will evolve our country and a country that uh, everyone, every child, every adult has an opportunity uh, to achieve the absolute best that they could possibly achieve. And so our commitment to this can't be just a moment. It has to be something that uh, is part of our fabric. So that's my call to action that I would ask our, our my fellow leaders to be part of. Well said, Kevin. Well said, thank you. We close now with some rapid fire questions. So off the top of your head, what are you currently reading or watching? I'm trying to finish the book by Bob Woodard on uh, Trump rage. Uh, and I think I'm going to get through it. <laughs> From a historical standpoint, it's, it's great history to, and appreciate, you know, how we got to where we are today. Okay. And uh, what am I watching? Uh, uh, I'm watching for relaxation uh, the Disney Plus miniseries Moon, uh, Moon Knight. Moon Knight. Yep, absolutely. So I'm very much Getting through it myself. Yes. yes. 
As a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, I think back about that, uh, and uh, it changed as I grew up. I certainly wanted to be a teacher. My mom was a teacher, uh, and I uh, thought about being a teacher, a history teacher, as I grew up. Ultimately, you know, as I got older, I thought about uh, using my talents in, in other ways, uh, ultimately to be a physician. But I'll tell you, I didn't start out that way. Uh, I've got a couple of brothers that did actually started very early in their thoughts about what they wanted to do when they were as they grew up. But I, I think I thought about ultimately utilizing my education or what I was interested in to to teach others. And I hope I'm still doing that today. What is one item on your bucket list that you want to share with us? Well, you know, I, I'm trying to create my bucket list. I'll <laughs> tell you that. Uh, but my wife, Gloria, and I uh, are talking about travel uh, and, uh, you know, maybe travel around the world uh, uh, at some point uh, and just see, you know, everything that, uh, that the world can actually present is something that we've talked about. It's a great item. Where's your happy place in Massachusetts? <laughs> uh, my happy place in Massachusetts is uh, my home. Uh, we've got four kids. They're out of the house. But when they come back, it becomes a really happy place that's uh, very loud and joyful and happy and, uh, and very funny. Uh, we also enjoy uh, uh, just the seashore, just uh, you know, getting out and just seeing the ocean uh, and hearing the waves and just that tranquility is just uh, very nice. That's powerful. And finally... What's a wish you have for Boston? My wish for Boston is uh, to be a city that continues to uh, lead, lead in the support and the development of the people that live in this great city, that understands that opportunity. And when I mean by lead, uh, continue to support that word of innovation as one example and the importance of how innovation changes our lives. And we need to continue to be a city that leads in that. We need to be a city that leads in looking at um, the social determinants of health and identifying those and, and acting upon those to provide an environment that our kids have the greatest opportunity to grow up healthy. My wish for Boston is that uh, they continue to win championships <laughs> uh, and, uh, and support that uh, in all its uh, great enthusiasm. I think that covers the waterfront there. Those are good wishes. Absolutely. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Kevin, and for sharing your insights. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. It was great. I'm John Bernstein. And I'm Carolyn Jones, and this is PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. Our guest today was Dr. Kevin Churchwell, president and CEO of Boston Children's Hospital. You can find C-Speak at bizjournals.com backslash Boston or on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time. You've been listening to PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. This podcast and other engaging episodes can be found at bizjournals.com slash Boston. Search PNC. 
Subscribe at the Boston Business Journal, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Come back soon and join us for another PNC C-Speak.